0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Jeremy So In this episode, I'm going to recap what happened in the Thursday night football game last week between the New York Giants and San Francisco 49ers. I'll give a rundown of each of the first half possessions for the Giants at 49ers. That's where the game was close, so I'll talk at some key points in the first half. Then I'll give you guys my thoughts on the game as a whole and what I thought... The Giants could do better and also build on for this coming week playing on Monday Night Football against the Seattle Seahawks. So let's start out with the first drive of the game. The Giants started out on defense. San Francisco got the ball first. And the Giants forced four bad passes on the first drive of the game by Brock Purdy. The Giants came up short on picking off those passes. They could have had an interception on four different plays. But at the end of the day, the defensive pressure was there. And I thought, okay, the Giants are going to get themselves a turnover today. In the year, they're going to get an interception, especially with Brock Purdy forcing bad passes right away in the first drive of the game. And then one other bright note for the Giants was that Kayvon Thibodeau had his first sack of the year right on the first drive of the game. That was a big thing for me. During the pregame preview, I said, you need Kayvon Thibodeau to wake up and have a game. You need Leonard Williams to wake up and have a game. And you need Xavier McKinney to also wake up and have a game. And I think the first two guys I mentioned, both of those guys stepped up in this game and were playing well Zay McKinney is still struggling, not really too sure what's going on there, but there's still a lot of season left for him to get back on track. But Thibodeau picks up his first sack of the year on the first drive, and the pressure by Kayvon Thibodeau and Lennon Williams were there. Landon Williams made a big tackle, and I thought, okay, things are looking up right now for the Giants' defense. Even though it's one drive in, I like what I've seen so far. Deontay Banks, rookie cornerback, almost picked Brock Purdy in the end zone. Probably should have been picked. It would have saved the Giants giving up a field goal in the first drive, but the Giants would take a field goal allowed on the first drive. That would be a win. First drive on offense for the Giants. Wanda Robinson had a seven-yard catch. That was huge seeing him back on the field for the Giants. And then Gary Brightwell had an 18-yard catch. Very impressive play by Daniel Jones moving out of the pocket and finding Brightwell downfield. And then Brightwell had a drop on the next play, which would have been another good gain. Tough to see, but I'm happy to see Gary Brightwell getting the ball. The Giants got a field goal on that drive, so it's 3-3. Second drive on defense. Great pressure on Purdy again. And this is what the Giants needed to do. I said in the preview that the Giants have to find a way to get pressure on Brock Purdy. And they were blitzing him a ton. So credit to Wink-Mottendale for trying to generate some pressure for the Giants. They needed a Spock. Second drive on offense. It went awry for the Giants with a big sack by Nick Boza. It was a play where Daniel Bellinger, a Giants tight end, was supposed to be blocking him. Ends up not reading the assignment right. And Boza gets Daniel Jones right at the one-yard line before going in the end zone. So luckily it wasn't a safety, but got him at the one. Daniel Jones was down there. Then there was a great punt by Jamie Gillen out of the end zone, which was huge. He was great all night. Third drive at defense of the Giants. Once again, there was pressure. Defensive lineman DJ Davidson made a big play, batted the ball down. Big pass deflection There. And then Debo Samuel had a catch that he was lit up on by Xavier McKinney, ended up being a huge hit by McKinney. So in the first three drives for the Giants on defense, Xavier McKinney, Kayvon Tibbetts, and Leonard Williams all showed up on the stat sheet, which was huge. And the Giants' pressure was there, so it was another big thing going into the game that I mentioned. For that big hit by McKinney on Debo, I think that ended up coming back on an ineligible receiver downfield. But then the next play, McKinney made a big play on 2nd and 15 against George Kittle, forcing an incompletion. So all three of those guys showed up at some point in the first three drives, which was huge for the Giants' defense. Then a 3rd and 15 screen, and Brock Purdy found Debo Samuel, and Debo Samuel took it for a first down and more. He was unreal on yards after the catch. I think he forced six missed tackles by the Giants in this game, so tackling is still a big issue for the Giants. Then on the same drive, a third and 13 play, and Brock Purdy found Christian McCaffrey on a big screen play for another first down. I thought it could have came back for a hold by the right tackle on the 49ers. He was holding Isaiah Simmons on the play, but ends up not coming back, ends up being a first down for Christian McCaffrey. So two big plays on third and long. Both of them being screen plays to Debo Samuel and McCaffrey, and both of them going for first downs. The Giants need to find a way to stop screen plays. When you're generating that much pressure, though, and you're sending that many guys to the quarterback and blitzing that much, it's easy for screen plays to go for long yardage, and that's what you saw in those two plays on that third drive for the Giants defense. And then there was a third-down touchdown pass from the nine-yard line from Brock Purdy to Ronnie Bell. The pressure was there on that one. Purdy just had to get rid of it quick. It was a good pass by him. He finds Ronnie Bell for the touchdown. But I do like the Giants generating as much pressure as they can on him. He ends up finding a way to throw a touchdown pass on that. But that was three straight plays on third down. Third and 15, third and 13, and then third and nine. You know, third and goal on the nine-yard line. Where the 49ers found ways to make plays on third down. The Giants need to find a way to get off the field on third down. That was a big issue for them in this game against the Niners. Then on the third drive of the game for the Giants' offense, it was a tough drive yet again for the Giants'. The offensive line allowed a sack on third down and almost a sack on first down as well. So it ends up being a tough drive for Daniel Jones and the Giants' offense. The fourth defensive drive for the Giants started off with a drop by Debo Samuel. Then they ran the ball very well with Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. Then there was a tip pass of Debo Samuel's hands that stayed in the air for about a week, although the Giants' defense had a chance of going up and getting it in the air for an interception. And then it ends up being in the hands of Ronnie Bell, a wide receiver for the 49ers. It should have been picked, though. And there was also a roughing the passer call on that same drive by Leonard Williams. So just a tough stretch there for the Giants on defense. Easily could have interception off the hands of Debo Samuel, but luck was not in the Giants' favor in this one. Then the Giants got the ball back with a minute 40 left and a timeout. Darius Slayton had a big catch. Credit to Matt Brito with a big chop block on that play. Stayed in there and gave Daniel Jones as much time as possible to get that ball out. And then Graham Gonneau lines up for 57-yard field goal before half which was huge to make it a 17-6 game at halftime. The Giants' offense did struggle in the second and third drives, especially in pass protection. But I thought, okay, it's 17-6 at halftime. we we'll are still in the game, and we get the ball after halftime is over. So I thought that was some positive momentum going into the locker room. But then if you look at at the Giants in the second half, really struggled. They really couldn't get much going on offense. And if you look at the Giants' Thursday night, pass blocking grade, it was the third worst in the NFL in a single game since 2020. Daniel Jones is pressured on half of his dropbacks, And the average time to pressure was 2.2 seconds. Faster than week one versus Dallas, when Daniel Jones had no time. And somehow the 49ers were able to generate more pressure on Daniel Jones and do it at a quicker rate. 2.2 seconds is the time Daniel Jones had in his dropbacks before the pressure was getting to him. And that ends up being quicker than week one versus Dallas, which was probably the worst offensive line performance I've ever seen the Giants have. Through the first three games of the season, Daniel Jones has been pressured 47% of the time. He's been under pressure 47% of the time. And according to Sam Monson of PFF, Pro football focus, that's typically a number that produces a completely non-viable quarterback play. And Daniel Jones has been under pressure consistently game in and game out. Except week two against Arizona, the Giants' offensive line found a way to stay in that one and give Daniel Jones some time in that second half comeback. And if you want to compare these numbers to last season, Daniel Jones was pressured on just 42% of his dropbacks last season. And he had a 54% completion percentage on pressure dropbacks with six touchdowns and two picks. Last year, Patrick Mahomes... Under pressure, 34% of his dropbacks, had 14 touchdowns to 7 picks. Trevor Lawrence last year under pressure, just 28% of his dropbacks, but he had a 47% completion percentage, 5 touchdowns to 8 picks. Joe Burrow, under pressure last season for 27.8% of his dropbacks, 10 touchdowns to 5 picks, with a 54% completion percentage. So Daniel Jones last year was under pressure on more dropbacks than Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, and Joe Burrow, had the best completion percentage of those three, tied with Joe Burrow for 54% completion percentage under pressure. And also had the best touchdown to interception ratio under pressure. Six touchdowns or two interceptions. So three touchdowns per interception under pressure. This year, Daniel Jones has been pressured 47% of his dropbacks. 15% more than any other quarterback in the NFL through the first three weeks of the season. And under those pressured dropbacks, he has a 52% completion percentage with no touchdowns or two picks. A lot of his interceptions, though, have been off the hands of Giants, wide receivers, and running backs. Two of them off the hands of Saquon Barkley and one of them being off the hands of Darren Wall. So Daniel Jones has four interceptions on the year, Three of them should have been caught by Giants skill players. I think he's going to figure out at some point, but the pressure has been atrocious against Daniel Jones. That's something that has to get better. So in this game, the Giants were down 23-12 to with the ball with just about 13 minutes to go in the game in the fourth quarter. And it was still a game. Down by 11 points with the ball, 13 minutes to go. The Giants were still in this one. On this drive, Darren Wall had a drop pass on third down. It was third and 11. Waller had a crossing route right over the middle of the field. Should have been an easy first down. Daniel Jones left the ball a little high. It should have been a little bit lower, but considering it hit Waller in the hands and he's six, foot six he should have brought it in. But at the end of the day, Daniel Jones could have brought it a little bit lower. It was a high pass, but at the end of the day, it did hit him in the hands. He's six, foot six. I thought he should have brought it in. And that's a big play there considering the Giants are down just 11 points with 13 minutes to go. They end up having to punt, but if they were able to get points on that drive... Down 11 and made it a one-score game with about 10 minutes to go, let's say. That would have been huge. So that was a big turning point in the game there. A big play that could have gone the Giants' way that didn't, unfortunately. And then the next drive, there was a touchdown pass from Brock Purdy to Debo Samuel. It was a strike under pressure by Purdy in the fourth quarter to make it a 30-12 to 12 game. Great pass by Purdy. Credit to him on that one. But it helps when you have an elite defense and a lead with six minutes to go where you have a security blanket where you can just take a shot downfield in that situation knowing you're up two scores and at the end of the day, you have a great defense behind you. There's only six minutes left, so there's not much time for the Giants to make a comeback. You know there probably could be a penalty as well, throwing there on third down, considering how poor the Giants were on third down all night. Whether it was penalties or not being able to tackle on third down, the Giants' defense were not able to get off the field all night. And at the end of the day, that was probably something that was in Brock Purdy's mind. He says, okay, let's toss it up. and see what happens. If he drops it, no harm. And if there's a penalty there, we get a first down in the end zone. And regardless, there's just six minutes to go, so the Giants don't really have much time. And he obviously has an elite defense behind him that could help him out and make a play if that really is what it came down to. But that touchdown by Purdy made it out of reach for the Giants, 30-12. to But it was a lot closer than the score gave it credit for. And if you look at the stats, it was closer than the stats made it look as well. And I think a big difference maker in this game was poor tackling by the Giants. It was just awful. The Giants missed 16 tackles in this game versus San Francisco. 16! Four players had three missed tackles each: Micah McFadden, Bobby Okereke, Trey Hawkins, and Jason Pinnock. And the Giants were very poor against screen plays on third and long. One of those being a third down screen play to Debo Samuel that I already mentioned. And Debo forced six missed tackles versus the Giants in this game. Six missed tackles per PFF. No other wide receiver in the NFL through the first three weeks had five. And Debo Samuel had six forced missed tackles versus the Giants. So the Giants need to be better at tackling. That's a big issue. And then there's poor pass protection. So it's on the Giants' offensive line as well. At one point, Daniel Jones was two for six with seven passing yards under pressure. And when he wasn't pressured, he was 14 of 17 with 111 yards. So if you could just give Daniel Jones some time, he's going to pick defenses apart. I have all the confidence in the world to Daniel Jones. I really do. But when the 49ers have 23 pressures, including six from Nick Boza, five from Javon Hargrave, and then also four... From Javon Kinlaw, that's just not a recipe for success for Daniel Jones. It's not. He's not going to have a good night when he's getting pressured 23 times, especially against that defensive line. Nick Bosa was a problem all night. Six pressures. He had a sack and had a 24% pass rush win rate with two quarterback hits and 4 hurries. He was a disruptive for the Giants all night. The Giants didn't have Evan Neal in this game, didn't have Saquon Barkley, didn't have Aziz Ojolaris, so or some missing pieces for the Giants. But regardless, the Giants need to go out there and be better on the offensive line. Four Giants offensive linemen had sub-30 pass block grades in this game, which is abysmal. With that being said, though, the Giants only gave up two sacks somehow to the 49ers on this night. Even with 23 pressures and four offensive linemen having sub-30 pass block grades, there were only two sacks, which I thought would be a win before the game. I said, if the Giants only give up a couple sacks in this game, that's a win. But considering how much pressure there was, that was a big issue. So it wasn't even just the sacks. It was the pressure that came with it. And in this game, the 49ers sent five pass rushes on 13 of 34 dropbacks. So they don't even have to send the house to generate pressure on Daniel Jones. That's the issue. They don't even have to send six or seven guys like a lot of teams do. The Giants are sending six guys basically all night trying to blitz Brock Purdy. And at the end of the day, the Niners don't have to do that. They only have to send four guys, and if they want to add a fifth, they can. And they can just generate pressure with just four rushes and still get in Daniel Jones' face, which is a major liability for the Giants' offense. Since the 49ers can keep more defensive backs, downfield and coverage and make it harder for the Giants' receivers to get open because there's less guys that they're blitzing and they're still generating pressure. So they have more guys in coverage. It makes it harder for Dana Jones to read downfield and go through his progressions. It was just 2.2 seconds per pressure. It's hard for anything downfield to develop, which is why Jalen Hyatt didn't really get any opportunity for a deep shot for the Giants, which was surprising. But maybe there wasn't really much open downfield. Dana Jones didn't really have much time to look downfield and wait for things to develop. And Darren Waller, he needs to be better as well. He dropped a big pass on third down that I already mentioned. Daniel Jones did throw it a little bit high, but it did hit him in the hands. Could have been a little bit better of a throw, but I thought it should have been caught. And then he also had a tipped pass off his hands that was intercepted. So now Daniel Jones on the year has four interceptions, with three of them that should have been completions. So box goal lookers are going to look at that and say, wow, Daniel Jones has four interceptions already through the first three games of the year. But yes, three of those should have been caught by his receivers. And the Giants didn't have Saquon Barkley in this game. So they kind of had to avoid the run game since they were down, and they were forced to pass the ball. That's just the way the 49ers were doing things. They were forcing Daniel Jones to have to throw the ball. And with that, Daniel Jones under pressure basically the entire night, it felt like. And so it's tough to neglect the run because then the defense can really keen in on the pass. And then there were also bad penalties, especially on third down. There were a couple tough calls against the Giants, where there was a defensive pass interference call cave on Tibetale against George Kittle, right by the goal line. And that push on third down by Thibodeau ends up giving the 49ers a first down in the red zone inside the 10. Tough call for the Giants there. There was a roughing the pass call on Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams and Kane Thibodeau's penalties both led to touchdowns for the 49ers. Rather than field goals, both of them, I believe, were on third down. So if you take that away, it's 14 points for the Niners. It would have been six though, if they just got field goals. So that eight-point difference would have been huge in the game, especially when the Giants are only down 23-12 to 12 late in the game with 13 minutes to go. So brutal turn of events there for the Giants' defense. The Giants also had a play right before halftime where Isaiah Hodgins was targeted by a pass from Daniel Jones. And he ends up getting hit. It looked like early. It should have been defensive pass interference. No call before halftime. I thought he was interfered with in the pass. Maybe he would have put the Giants in field position. Maybe to go down there and try to score a touchdown rather than get a field goal. But the Giants still got three on that drive there. But could have been more if the Giants got that defensive pass interference call. And then you add in the roughing the pass call on in Williams, the defensive pass interference on Kayvon Thibodeau. And then there was also a play right before halftime where Trent Williams threw a punch at A'shaun Roberts in a defensive line for the Giants, and there was no ejection. Where there were reports where both players, I guess, threw punches at each other, I didn't really see the video of A'shaun Roberts throwing a punch. But regardless, both of those players should have been thrown out of the game for throwing punches if that was the case. And I did see on video, Trent Williams did throw a punch for halftime, and he ends up not getting ejected. So that was a tough loss there for the Giants, considering how good Trent Williams is. He's the best tackle on the 49ers, the best offensive lineman overall. So that would have been a big break for the Giants' defense if Trent Williams wasn't in the game. But... It ends up not being the case, that he's not ejected. So a tough break there for the Giants. And then there was another big thing in the game where the Giants didn't really get any turnovers of Brock Purdy. And if you look at Brock Purdy's first 10 passes of the game, I'd say four or five of them should have been intercepted in the first quarter. There were a lot of risky passes by him that should have been picked, one of them being in Deontay Banks' hands in the end zone. So a very unlucky night for the Giants' secondary, because they should have had probably four or five interceptions on Brock Purdy's first 10 passes. Maybe it would have stopped Brock Purdy and the 90s from scoring as much as they did. Very unlucky night with tip passes as well. One of them being off Debo Samuel's hands. That was shot into the air and completed to a 49ers receiver. So that was just bad luck for the Giants in their defense. And at one point in the game, the Giants blitzed 84.6 percent of the time, which was the highest rate in a game according to Next Gen Stats in the Next Gen Stats era. They blitzed 85 percent of the time against Brock Purdy. So that was the game plan for Wink Martindale. Which even though. It didn't really end up working out for the Giants. They still lost this game. I don't mind blitzing that much. I really don't. Because at the end of the day, the Giants had to mix something up and try to see if they could get something to turn in their favor in this one. Because with Saquon Baki being out, Aziz Ojolari, Andrew Thomas, the Giants needed a break on defense and probably needed a big play on defense. They needed a big defensive play, maybe a defensive touchdown or a big sack that put the Giants in good territory, the strip sack, whatever it may be. The Giants needed a big play in defense. So I don't mind Wick Motindale blitzing 85% of the time. I really don't. And the Giants had 21 pressures on the night, four of them being from Leonard Williams and four of them being from Dexter Lawrence. So at least they were finding ways to get Thibodeau and Williams involved in this game. Both of them showed up in this one. That was something that I think the Giants needed for them to compete in this one. A big thing at offense was that the Giants really didn't have any separation for their wide receivers. There wasn't really much room to throw. The Giants had a poor run game basically all night. And Dana Jones had minimal time to throw downfield before being pressured. Which we knew would be the case considering how good the 49ers defense is. But at the end of the day, the offensive line needs to be better because it not only forces Dana Jones to try to make a pass downfield under a lot of pressure, but he's also throwing into tight windows because there really isn't much time for receivers to get open downfield. The Giants' receivers need to find a way to get more separation. That's been an issue now for the last couple seasons. That's why the Giants drafted Wanda Robinson and Jalen Hyatt, two speed threat receivers that are supposed to be getting open and forcing separation between themselves and the cornerback. And if you saw in that Giants' second-half run against Arizona, Jalen Hyatt's speed was a big reason that the Giants came back in that one. It really was. But if you take away that second-half versus Arizona, the Giants have scored just 12 points, and have 402 total yards in the other the 10-quarters played this season. 12 points and 402 yards in two and a half games, besides that second half against Arizona. So the Giants' offense needs to get better. And if you look at the stats in this one, I think the stats make it look like it was a game that was more out of hand for the Giants than it actually was. I think the Giants had a better chance in this one than the stats gave them credit for. I think it was a little bit closer than stats gave them credit for, especially if you look at the yards gained. The 49ers had 441 yards gained on the night. The Giants had just 150. But the Giants fought hot all night. And I think when you look at the stats of the box score, it looks worse. But I'm proud of how the Giants fought. They were resilient and they battled all night. The 49ers had 39 minutes for time of possession in this one. The Giants had just 21. So that's a big difference maker in the game as well. And the 49ers had 141 yards on the ground. The Giants had just 29. The 49ers had 197 yards after the catch for their receivers, proving that the Giants' tackling was abysmal in this one. And the 49ers also had 215 yards of the 310 come after the catch. And that's per next-gen stats. 215 yards of the 310 for the 49ers came after the catch. So just about 69.4% of their passing yards came after the catch. So the gents need to find a way to tackle better. They really do. Purdy finished the game 25-37 for 310 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. Which the screenplays. plays were a big issue for the Giants in this one. Getting off the field on third down would have been a big difference maker in this game, would have made it a lot closer than it looked. And if you look at it, the Giants are blitzing at an all-time rate in this one, meaning there were two defenders on one side of the field for, let's say, three to four blockers on a lot of those screenplays. And with poor tackling, that's a recipe for disaster. The Giants blitzed on 33 of Brock Purdy's 39 dropbacks, the highest blitz rate in a game in the Next Gen Stats era. Purdy was 20 of 31, with 247 passing yards and two touchdowns against the Blitz. With most throws, around five yards or less downfield, but at the end of the day, it helps having shifty receivers because they can break tackles and force missed tackles, which was a story all night for the Giants' defense. Jamie Gillen was great for the Giants. He ends up being one of the more positive notes for the Giants on the night. Kept the Giants in the game with great field position in a lot of his punts. Averaging 53 yards per punt and had a 64-long, he had a very good night for the Giants on special teams. For injuries, Donnie Holmes had to step in for the Giants secondary with Deontay Banks going down with an injury. And Donnie Holmes did have a holding call against him that was tough on third down, of course, which was just the theme all night for the Giants on third down. They couldn't get off the field. But Holmes did have a big tackle against a screenplay on third down. Something that the Giants struggled with all night was tackling on third down and on screenplays. And Holmes is a very good tackle. He showed up and made a big play on a third down screenplay. Adoree Jackson did get hurt on the night, but he finished the game, and he should be ready to go for Monday night. Some positives for the Giants, Kayvon Thibodeau Landon Williams. Both of them woke up. Thibodeau had three tackles with the sack, a quarterback hit, and a tackle for a loss. Did have a tough penalty against him as well. And then Landon Williams had another tough penalty against him too, but he had six tackles with two quarterback hits and a sack. Good to see those two guys generating pressure. Micah McFadden was all over the field all night. He did miss three tackles, but he's a player, and he was playing hard all night. He did give it his all all night, and that's something that I commend him for. Ten tackles with four tackles for loss. And I think when you look at it, overall, the Giants fought hard in this one. Down just eight points at the start of the fourth quarter. They were down 11 points with just about 13 minutes to go and had the ball at that point. The score really wasn't indicative of how close the game was. And I'm not saying the Giants would have won this game, but it was a lot closer than the score gave them credit for. Up until the midway point of the fourth quarter, the Giants still had a shot in this one. So that's one thing that the Giants could build upon. If a couple more things go their way, they get off the field on third down maybe a couple more times and maybe get a break on a penalty call and maybe have a couple plays go their way off tip passes from Brock Purdy or intercept maybe one or two of his passes, this could have been a much different game maybe, a lot closer than the score gave it credit for. Gary Brightwell looks very good in limited touches. He was just four carries for five yards on the ground, but had two catches for 31 yards in the air. He did have a drop, sadly, but I liked what I saw from him, and hopefully he gets another chance on Monday night against Seattle. Wanda Robinson, his return, had four catches to 21 yards. He looked pretty good in his return. So the Giants blitzed 41% on the night, which takes guts. So Craig to Martindale, he knew the Giants had to generate pressure. They had no option but to force Brock Purdy to try to make a bad throw, which the Giants probably had the opportunity five or six times to get an interception during this game, and they end up falling short. So one thing that I want to see the Giants work on on Monday night and for the rest of the season is tackling, third down defense, and pass protection. A lot of those things they could build upon from this game. Tackling was very poor for the Giants in this one, so there's not really much of the way the Giants could look worse than they did on Thursday night tackling. Third down defense, they couldn't really look much worse on third down on the night. They could get stops at first and second down. It was getting stops at third down. They couldn't look worse on third down than they did on Thursday night. And that pass protection looked really bad again. All of those things can be built upon. And I think this Giants team will be all right. I saw a lot of good things in this game, a tough game going up against the 49ers, and I saw a lot of good things. And if you look at the Giants' first three games, they had to play the 49ers and the Cowboys, two of the three, maybe two of the top five teams in the NFL on the season. And the Cowboys losing to Arizona makes them look probably not like a top three team, but I'd still consider them a top five team in the NFL. So the Giants had to play two of the top five teams in the NFL in their first three games of the season. So that's obviously not the best draw in their first three games. But I'm proud of the way they fought. They really did fight hard. And I think they were more in this game than the score. And the stats made it look. So that's just the way I feel about the Giants. I think they're more in the game than what the stats looked like. And I was watching ESPN on Friday morning right after the game last week. And Mike Tannenbaum at ESPN had a very lazy narrative. And he had a take that said, Purdy makes 900000 a year. Daniel Jones makes $40 million a year. How can Daniel Jones make $40 million a year and get outplayed by a guy making 900000 a year. And here's my take on it. This is how I feel. First, let me say this. Brock Purdy is now 8-0 as a starter in the NFL. So he's beaten a fair share of quarterbacks in the NFL, not just Daniel Jones. So he's beaten a fair share of quarterbacks that make more money than him. So it's not just Daniel Jones. It isn't. But of course, Daniel Jones is the one that gets singled out. That's just the way it is. It isn't right, but haters will always find a way to hate. That's just a reality. Secondly, compare the two teams. Daniel Jones would drive on the 49ers in the 49ers system. He really would. I truly believe the 49ers would have won the Super Bowl last season if Daniel Jones was their quarterback. I really do believe that. And if they wouldn't have won, they would have made it there. He would have been putting up monstrous numbers behind that offensive line, which isn't an elite offensive line, but they do have a prime left tackle in Trent Williams. It's a better offensive line than Daniel Jones has in the Giants. Elite skill players, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, all better than what Daniel Jones has in the Giants. And he also has an elite defense with a very quarterback-friendly system. So I think Daniel Jones would be putting up monstrous numbers if Brock Purdy and him switch situations. I really do. Considering Daniel Jones' mobility and his success throwing the deep ball, I think he would look very good on this 49ers offense. But of course, people are going to come at Daniel Jones for this loss, and that's just the way things will be for the rest of the season. Every time Daniel Jones has a bad game and the Giants lose, it's always going to be Daniel Jones makes $40 million a year, and he stole from the Giants. That's what that error is going to be. And I feel like you could try to argue with people that feel like Daniel Jones is overpaid, and he's not a good quarterback, and he's average, and he's bottom 10 of quarterbacks in the NFL people that feel that way you can try to argue with but I feel like you're never going to convince them otherwise and they're never going to see the other side like Daniel Jones not having Andrew Tom in this game not having Ben Bredesen not having Saquon Barkley and having an abysmal offensive lineman four of his offensive linemen having under 30 pass block raids in this game which is abysmal and I know a lot of people expect the Giants to lose this game heavily everyone thought Daniel Jones was struggling this one and then when the Giants lose The narrative around the Giants isn't that people expect the Giants to lose in this one. The narrative is this. Daniel Jones makes $40 million a year. So basically they're saying Daniel Jones should have won this game because he makes $40 million a year. By the way I see it, Daniel Jones was set up a failure in that game on Thursday night because all these analysts and people on social media that say Daniel Jones looked awful against the 49ers and he's the reason the Giants lost... They don't realize that Daniel Jones didn't really have much around him in this game. He really didn't. He was fighting an uphill battle no matter what. Even if Andrew Thomas and Saquon Bach could were healthy, it's still an uphill battle for the Giants against the 49ers. Nobody expected the Giants to win this game. I thought they would be in it, though, and I thought they would surprise people. And honestly, I was proud of the way the Giants fought. I really was. But when the Giants lose, Daniel Jones is always the issue in these people's eyes on ESPN, Fox Sports, whatever it may be, Colin Coward, Stephen A. Smith. Daniel Jones is always the issue. Mike Tannenbaum, for that matter, as well. Daniel Jones was not the issue on Thursday night. And once again, I don't care if I'm the only person that believes that. I really don't. It wasn't his best game, but there was so much else around Daniel Jones in that game that was an issue for the Giants, like forcing no turnovers of Brock Purdy on defense, poor tackling, not getting off the field on third down on defense, awful pass protection, and also injuries. Not having Saquon Barker and Andrew Thomas was a big losses. And one thing that I want to mention here to support Daniel Jones even more is that the Giants currently hold the 32nd-ranked wide receiver group in the NFL in the 32nd-ranked offensive line in the NFL, according to PFF. According to Pro Football Focus, the Giants are dead last in wide receiver group and offensive line. So it couldn't get any worse around Daniel Jones than it is right now. But no one's going to mention that on ESPN and social media. They're just going to mention that Daniel Jones makes $40 million a year, and it's all expected of him to try to win a game under pressure consistently. Every single snap, it felt like he was under pressure, just like in week one. It's all on Daniel Jones to win these games because he makes $40 million a year. And I don't really like that narrative that it's all on him at the end of the day. There wasn't really much around Daniel Jones that he could have created some success for the Giants on offense. No run game considering Saquon Barkley was hurt. I would have liked to see Gary Brightwell get a few more opportunities, but that wasn't the way that it went for the Giants. They really abandoned the run game, it seemed like, especially considering they were down for a lot of the game. And if you look at it, no Andrew Thomas is a big difference maker for the Giants. And he wouldn't have solved all the problems for the Giants, but at least it would have been one consistent offensive lineman for Daniel Jones to rely on in this game. Evan Neal had a tough test going up against Nick Boza. He fought hard. He tried at the end of the day. It's a tough battle going up against Nick Boza. And if you look at it, the Giants' offensive line does have a lot to figure out. They really do. And the wide receiver group has a lot to figure out as well. They need to create separation for Daniel Jones and make it easier on him but I don't like the whole narrative that Daniel Jones got outplayed by a guy making $900,000 a year while Daniel Jones is making $40 million a year because Brock Purdy has a lot better of a situation around him than Daniel Jones has. And no quarterback's going to have a perfect situation. No quarterback in the NFL is going to have a perfect situation. But Brock Purdy has a much better situation than Daniel Jones has. And one thing I argued with the sports guru Mike Curley with over text was that I feel like Brock Purdy has never been in a situation where the 49ers are down in the fourth quarter and they need a big drive from him. Maybe that's what I need to see for me to not doubt Brock Purdy and maybe have a little bit different of a feeling about Brock Purdy than I do right now. Because I think Brock Purdy is the perfect situation around him. From skill position players, to a prime left tackle, to a very quarterback-friendly system, to a very simple playbook where they're just really throwing a lot of screen plays, getting the ball out on third down, where it's a lot of screen plays, and D-ball Sam and Chris McCaffrey doing a lot of the work on those plays. And they also have an elite defense and they're always up in games. I want to see Brock Purdy get the ball late in the game, let's say in the fourth quarter, three minutes to go with the 49ers trailing. And it seems like that's never the case because the 49ers are always up in the fourth quarter, it seems like, whether it's by one touchdown or two, the 49ers are always up in the fourth quarter, it seems like. I want to see Brock Purdy have to master a comeback down late in the fourth quarter and find a way to get the 49ers down the field in a big situation with all the pressure on him because I feel like a lot of the time he's been the quarterback for the 49ers. He's been in a very comfortable situation always in a very comfortable situation, whether it's a very good lead or the 49ers defense is forcing turnovers and putting the offense in good position. Whatever it may be, I feel like Brock Purdy needs to be tested a little bit more because the way things stand right now, I think Brock Purdy is the easiest and the best situation around him. I really do. And I think a lot of quarterbacks could thrive in that system. That's not taking away from Brock Purdy. He had a very good game against the Giants, especially under pressure. He found a way to throw two very good touchdown passes. But with that being said, he does have a very good situation around him. And I'd like to see the 49ers be down late in the fourth quarter with the ball in Brock Purdy's hands and they say, hey, Master, come back right now and see what you can do. I want to see that. I want to see Brock Purdy uncomfortable, under pressure in the fourth quarter with a couple minutes to go. Because I feel like right now, the way things stand, he's in a perfect situation in a perfect environment. He really is. I don't think he gets any better than trying to be the quarterback in that system. And then people compare it to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has a 32nd ranked offensive line, the 32nd ranked wide receiver group and is also under consistent pressure playing in and play out. Brock Purdy is in a much different situation than Daniel Jones. So that's my thoughts on the Giants game and how I think they performed last Thursday night. With all that being said, though, I'm proud of the way the Giants fought. I really am. Anyways, I will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.